Frank Reich is bringing his talents to Indianapolis. Hi, I'm Frank Reich, head coach of your Indianapolis Colts. Colts Nation uh, should um, sleep well tonight and, and know going into this year we're in really good hands. If we're going to fulfill the vision that we have as an organization and as a team of being perennial contenders, perennial contenders year in and year out, one good season's not enough. There's one word that we want to characterize us, that's toughness. Right, that's a relentless pursuit to get better every day. And I hope we're all feeling the same thing right now about where we're at. I think we feel pretty good, right? We got a long way to go, but we're starting to do some things. We're starting to do some things. Everything that Frank talked about at the beginning of the year, just even through the one and five, continuing to develop that, it's been awesome to see. That's a good football team. They were hot. But guess what? So in a cold This game right here, That'd be the best game of the year. We've been climbing, climbing, get better, get better, and let it show up on Sunday, the best game of the year. But I see a zero out there. In yeah! Remember this from an early training camp meeting? Anybody remember that slide that was put up? Ooh! That, that's where they had us ranked, right? The horseshoe is back, baby. The horseshoe is back. And playoff football, it's complimentary. We hang with each other. When the O is going great in the first half, we're going, man. And when we needed help in the second half, the D shuts them down. The special teams is rocking the whole game. That's the way you win playoff football, on the road. Good job, man. When you climb the mountain, you're climbing it for one reason, to get to the top. The guys in this building, the guys in that locker room, and the coaches and the players, that, that just exceeded any of my wildest expectations. All right, let's put our hands together and welcome your head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich. <laughs> coach, thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate this time. We've looked forward to these conversation for a long, long time. And the, the local church is not like unfamiliar territory to you, though. Right, so so a couple things they folks may not realize about Frank is um, after he played in the league for 14 years, um, he was kind of praying through and contemplating where do I go next, what do I do next, and he decided to go to seminary and get a Master of Divinity degree. So Master of Divinity is kind of code in the church world for how you prepare to go into professional pastoral ministry type training background. So a lot of people call him MDiv. So he has an MDiv degree. His wife Linda has an MDiv degree. So a crazy amount of theological training in their back room. And then he decided he was going to be a pastor for a while. And then he was president of a seminary. Now, Coach, that's kind of a, a winding path to the NFL head coaching. You want to say anything about that? Well, yeah, I'll tell you what. It, it is a little bit of a winding path. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Six, 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 yeah. There you go. There was a little bit of a winding path, but... Um, it's a path that I'm here with you right now in front of this group of people, and I'm excited to be here. So um, it, it was a great, great journey. Um, but I always think back to that journey. You always have visions of where it's going to go. But one of the things I have learned along that journey, Eric, is that as hard as the job is right now, that I, you know, being an NFL coach, a lot of pressure, right? right? We work a lot of hours. Um, we work a lot of hours, you know, 6 a.m. to midnight. It's a lot of hours. But the one thing I have grown to appreciate is the local church ministry and that the job of a pastor is the hardest job in the world. <laughs> Amen. I like it, Coach. 
Wait, I just that, so an NFL head coach just said the job of a local pastor is harder than his job. When he told me oh. that earlier this season, I was like, Coach, are you sure? No, piece of cake, piece of cake. Uh, the head coaching job compared to what you do. Um, but I, one thing is, uh, I have had an appreciation for that, and I realize how that has prepared me. The whole journey, the the seminary, the the working for a seminary and being the president of a seminary, uh, pastoring a church for two years in many ways helped me as a leader, helped me as a man grow. Um, I, I think about just the leadership aspect, being president of a seminary. I, I had never been a head coach before, but had an opportunity to serve a, a group of people as a president of a, of a seminary. Uh, that was a lot of leadership stuff I learned during those years. When I went to be a pastor, just the shepherding of a flock, a group of people around a common purpose, trying to grow together, trying to ascend, you know, trying to ascend, just working together um, through the highs and lows, and dealing with all the ups and downs and personalities of life as a pastor, which was the hardest thing, right? Because every day there's just, we're all, we're all struggling. I mean, we all have all these great moments, but we all have these, every one of us have these down here. Um, and as and as a pastor, really got to feel like what that feels like to get down in people's lives. And as a coach, this isn't just X's and O's. I mean, X's and O's is important. I love the X's and O's. Now, I love competing. I love going out there. Putting, I still love picking a football up. And I still love competing. But really what it's all about, I'm continuing to find, is it's about people. It's yeah. about connecting with people, connecting with the players, and, and coaching the whole player. Um, and all I heard those you things say like, like when you were through the season, you said, you know, a lot of times what you're doing is kind of like little mini sermon preparations, right? You're talking about you're standing in front of the team, you're trying to provide some guidance, and you often go back to your roots in local church life. No doubt. I mean, uh, so there were years uh, before I went into a local pastoring a local church, just traveling the country a little bit and speaking in churches. That was easier than being a pastor where you, because in those moments you're three, four, five messages that you preach that really mean a lot to you. And so you go out and you share those stories over and over again, and they're impactful on your own life, and you hope they can encourage somebody else. But when you're with the same group every week, and, you know, you, the messaging, so I think all that has helped. I think Amen. all that has helped. Amen. 26 years, Coach, I've yeah. been with this group. They've got all my story. There's nothing new. They just get my C game every day. Like every, I just. I don't know how you do it because I've been one year with our team. I feel like they've heard all my stories already. <laughs> what do I do now? What, I got, what do I got? This is year two. What, right, am, what are we going to do? 26. So, Coach, a lot has changed for you in 15 months. Put this pick up on the screen. I found this pick, and for you and Linda, right, 15 months ago, Right, February 2018, turn the clock back, right? You're on the field. You were the OC for the Eagles. So Frank's been, he played for 14 years, and he's been, I think he's heading into his 14th year in the coaching side, so 28 combined NFL years. I think four different organizations in the coaching side. So he started with the Colts and then went to Cardinals and Chargers, Eagles, and now back to the Colts. But through all that, Coach, like 15 months ago, you're on the field, you're holding the Lombardi Trophy. That had to be an amazing moment for you and Linda and your family, and just say a couple things about the Super Bowl run and how much that meant to you. It, it was fun. It was special. I mean, we all in our, in our individual lives, work lives, hobbies we have, we, you have goals that you want to achieve, and certainly winning a Super Bowl championship was one of the goals as a football player and being in the business that long, and had been there, what made it especially rewarding, because I had been there five times before. Four, uh, uh, four as a player and one as a coach with the Colts in 2009 when we lost to the Saints. Um, 
and had lost all five of those. And so, so you were O for five. We were O for five. I was going back. I was. I remember. I remember standing on the field before uh, that Super Bowl thing, and I don't know what I mean. If we go, if I go O for six, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> there. I mean, I know I don't need a Super Bowl to complete. I always said I don't need this to complete my life. Um, this isn't. But this is important. It's your job, and you're trying to be the best. And I'd say it's one of the hardest games to lose, too. Right? Just took so much to get. You talk about that mountain. Takes so much to get there, and then when you just don't hit the peak. Just the, no. it's just difficult, right? Really hard to work and, through. And, and you then, did that five times. So you're standing with Linda, you're holding the Lombardi finally. That had just a, a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, and especially because we beat the Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you, <laughs> coach can say it. So. No, but I, I think from a prof, on a professional level, one of the reasons it was rewarding was that you get to, you know, the, the, the trophy's nice that you showed, and sure, you, they, they give you a little bit extra, they give you extra money, that's nice to provide for your family. And, um, but really what it's about as a coach and as a player is it's more about the, the, the relationships that you have with the people that you, you've been going through the ups and downs, and you get to the top, and you're saying, you look at each other and you say, we did it, man, we did it. That to me was, what, that's what it was all, that's what that's all about. It's to be able to look at the guy next to you, uh, just like uh, my wife and I, my wife Lynn and I just celebrated our 33rd anniversary where, you know, children growing and- 33 years. And, and you want this, you know, I think at the, we talk about this, we want at the end of our lives, hey, we did it. You know, we did it together. And that's no different in a marriage, that's no different with a football team. For, for me and for us, it's always been about building those relationships and facing the challenges that are ahead of us every day with people you love, committed to the same things, saying, we, we can do this. And then, you know what, sometimes you're at that valley, but there's other times you're at the top of that mountain right. and you get a brief moment, you get a brief moment just to say, we did it. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. That was one of those moments. And I've heard you talk about before, like there were some really cool God moments going on within the team dynamic. You just say a couple things about there's pretty special relationships that you had as the OC with the Eagles that were really meaningful because that's going to bridge into the next question I'm going to pitch you about the transition. Because you, you, really, you really enjoyed your role there. You really felt like God was using you in some ways way beyond just X's and O's. Right, there was some pretty special stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, as player, as as players and coaches, I mean, it, it's not like, I mean, this is we get tight. I mean, you know, you're fighting, you're clawing together, and sure, as the coach, you're the quote unquote authority figure. But we're all grown men in the NFL. This isn't like coaching high school or college football. We're all grown men, and so we're doing this together. We're going through life's up and downs together. Um, there's no school like in college or high school where you got to worry about the act. This is our job. This is our livelihood. So you get involved in their lives. And on that team, uh, every team you're with, every player would tell you, you, you get close to coaches. But there were, there were really a strong group of Christians on that team. I mean, really super strong, um, particularly the two quarterbacks that helped that team uh, help the Eagles win a championship, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. And, you know, being in the position I was in as the offensive coordinator, I just spent a lot of time with them and, and as well as a lot of the other guys there. Just have that relationship with them, not only player coach, but brother in Christ to brother in Christ. Um, to do Bible studies together with those guys, to talk about the challenges of life and the ups and downs was pretty special. Yeah. That's the stuff that doesn't show up on NFL.com. You know what I'm saying? 
like you got OCs like Frank in the league and pouring into the lives of young men way beyond helping them with X's and O's. Crazy good at football, but still connected to these young men who are trying to become husbands, fathers, and do it the right way. And I just thought, you know, such a good commentary on this, the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, Coach, during that run, uh, you were getting a fair amount of pressure to put your name out there. When I say that, um, because when you're winning in the NFL and you're in the offensive coordinator position, it's kind of the precursor to maybe being propped up as head coaching candidates. That's kind of the drill. Um, and so for, for you, Frank, during that, right, you were getting some, pre hey, get your name out there, do this or that. Can you, can you speak to how you chose to handle it and, and what was behind that? Well, I, you know, I learned when I came into the league that, hey, don't just be present at the job you're at. Just do your job and don't always, you know, chase after the next job. Well, that's easier said than done. You know, when you're in that and you're winning and you're on a Super Bowl run, I had previously interviewed for a couple other head coaching jobs when I was with some other teams and we had some offensive success and I was the coordinator. So I had the opportunity. And to be honest, Eric, I felt like I didn't handle those opportunities the best. I felt like I was chasing after it. Like I was, oh, this is it. This is my one opportunity I have to be a head coach. I better really go hard after this. And I just, and that's okay, part of that, right, is okay to pursue it, but I just felt like I was out of control pursuing it, where this time... It reminded me, Coach, in that when Robbie Zacharias said once that the tendency in the human condition is to accelerate the march of destiny. Yeah. And that's, so in that, I'm hearing you say, like, exactly maybe, like, I was, doing. I was just kind of getting ahead of the Lord on that, pressing something that maybe just wasn't the right time. That's what I was hearing you saying with exactly. that the previous... So pick it back up now, and, and what you wanted to enter into this differently, right, in this last 2018 when you were getting a little bit of pressure in that. You win the Super Bowl. And well, and I think I might have been about ready to fall into that trap again, trying to accelerate the march of destiny, as he said. But thankfully, my wife, um, one night when I was probably going down that road, sat down and just said to me, she had been kind of reading and studying in the book of Ecclesiastes and was reminding me of something that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, like to this day, I literally have thought about this every day since she shared it with me, and I still think about it, that in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2, let me turn to it just and read it just so I get every aspect of it right. She just said to me, um, you know, let, let's not, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer's talking about, hey, I experienced everything I had. I had everything my heart desired. I, I held myself from no pleasure. I had it all. Did, did everything there was to do. And what I found out, it was like chasing after the wind. And so she came up to me and she read this scripture. She read this scripture, uh, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And she just said to me, Frank, she said, let's not chase after the wind on this. Let's not. And so we just, we stopped, we prayed, said, Lord, just give our hearts peace. Uh, let's enjoy this moment. We were having a good run. Let's not chase after the wind. If this is going to happen, let it be on your agenda, not ours. So you kind of went, I remember the phrase you told me was you just, you went dark, right? You just said, you know what? Shut down the cell phone as far as, because you were in, Hey, I want to do my job. You're locked in in the playoff run with the Eagles, and you just decided, you know what? I'm not going to chase after the wind in that, right? You're just going to let whatever unfold, unfold, right? Is that a... a no, that's 100% accurate. You know, just then 
call, wasn't calling my agent every day. Hey, what's, wasn't reading the papers. Is my name, be, you know, it was just, let me, let me focus on the next opponent. Just do my job. Enjoy the moment. So you do that, and the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and that's great. And then you kind of you realize what happens often in the cycle is all the head coaching positions got filled, right? So you want to talk about that. So you, you do that. You say you release it to the Lord, and at the end of the day, it looks like, hey, all the roles are filled. And I think you and Linda, right, had said in your heart of hearts, hey, we're just going to have another great year with the Eagles, and you were content with that, and right? Was that a fair summary? Totally fair. I mean, it was now back from, uh, back from the Super Bowl, enjoying the moment. In a couple of days, the parade's going to be, uh, we're going to enjoy the parade. We're going to get away for a little bit. We we're making plans for a trip just to get away because after the grind and uh, yeah, just enjoying the moment. Okay. And then your phone rings well, and it's the GM, right? Of the Colts, yeah, Chris, Chris Ballard, Ballard on the other end of the call, right? Which up until this, all the jobs looked like they were full, so you'd kind of turned the page, I think, internally and just said, hey, you know what? Looks like we'll just be where we're at, at least for another year. But then talk about that phone call and, and then maybe the, the steps into the interview process and what you sense God doing and all that. Yeah, so uh, it was, I can't remember the day of the week it was, but I want to say it was a Tuesday, and it's where we're winding down at night. It's 10.30 or so, 10 o'clock, 10.30, something like that, and my phone's sitting next to the bed, and all of a sudden I see a little alert pop up about that the coach who had took the job had stepped away, had stepped away from the head coaching job, and the same alert came up on Linda's phone, and she looks at me, and I look at her, and she's like, is that real? You know, is that real? And like, and, and I go, I guess it's real. She goes, well, are you going to do anything? Are you going to do anything? Or are we going to call? Just <laughs> <laughs> laying in bed talking, are we going like, to do anything? I mean, like, and I'm like, no, you're the one that said we're not chasing after the wind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we did. We stopped right there and we just prayed. And, you know, we're like, I don't know what's happening here. You know, I don't know what's happening here. But, and then about a half hour later, the phone rang. And, uh, and it was Chris Ballard. Um, you know, calling to ask me to come in for an interview. So simultaneously, so I, I think there were, Coach, I'm not going to overstate, I, I, I guarantee you there were thousands of people in the Indianapolis area that the moment they heard that news that maybe the previous candidate had decided no, went, that's a God thing right there. <laughs> and then I turned to Kendra, I'm standing in the living room, same notification that comes across my phone, I turned to Kendra, no, no lie, Coach, exact words came out of my mouth, I said, Honey, right now we're going to stop and we're going to pray that God sends Frank Reich to Indianapolis. <laughs> That's exactly what I said to Kendra and we paused and prayed in the living room. Said, Lord, move mountains and bring Frank here. Uh, and Colts Nation, aren't you glad that's what happened? Who's got... That's holy crazy right there. That's holy crazy. I think the following Sunday, um, you, went, you go through the interview process, right? Talk about the interview process and just what stood out to you as you went through that and what you sense, right? You're not going to chase after the wind. You're just going to be in the present moment. Phone rings. You're on a jet. You're in an interview that you're like, just pull back the curtain on that a little bit for the group. Yeah, and I, I, I will. I do want to say one other thing, though, about that quick process that, uh, and because I understand that we all, meaning including me, like when we talk about the former candidate stepped away and it being a God thing, um, I've never met Josh McDaniels. Um, I, I do understand and believe that Josh is a Christian and, and, uh, and, a, and a really good God-fearing man who has really grown in his life. So it's, I, I just I want to think and believe that it was a God thing for everybody involved. And, good. And good. Even, well said, Coach. And, well and said. even though right, God wrong, thing. or indifferent, you know, that 
and I'm certainly appreciative of, of but we hear, right, and we, and we get it, and so I'm not saying anything about it other than to say, I've really tried to like get the message from my kids, hey, no judgment zone here, right? No judgment zone. I don't know what is going on in a person's life, and just take it day by day, and then be ready to step in and go, you know, when the opportunity uh, presents itself. And when it did, and when we came here for the interview, I just remember Linda and I talking about when we were in this Bible study, when I was playing for the Panthers, there was a teammate that, that we had who one night at a Bible study, a couple's Bible study we were in, he, said, he posed the question, he said, what's happening in your life that only God can get the credit for? And, and I'm like, well, if there ever was one, this was it, right? I mean, if there ever was one, this was it. That if it just seemed like if we were going to get this position, if I was going to get this position, it was only going to happen. I would only want it to happen this way that we're only, where it had to be a God thing. And it just seemed very fitting. And then when we came here for the interview, I mean, Chris Ballard and I just hit it off. Like it was unbelievable. The first meeting, it was like we, I had known him my entire life. We're speaking the same language, the same value system. I mean, just God fearing man, just everything was right. Ownership. I love the ownership here with the, the Ursae family is amazing. They're an amazing family. I knew everyone in the building as I knew, you know, our relationship, um, Pete Ward, the president, you know, the, uh, everyone in the building, all the equipment guys, smack, you know, smacks it right here. I mean, I knew all these guys. It, it, was, it just seemed so per Indianapolis, we had been here before. My wife's sister's living here. We were just made to be here. So great. And here's a picture. So February 11th, 2018, here's what, here's what happened. So, Alicia, can you put that up for us? So there's you, February 11th, 2018, in a press conference, deciding not to chase after the wind and... And here's where you ended well, up. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I left that press conference and I just like, let's go, let's go to work. I was ready to go to work. And because that's what you got to do. I mean, it's you, you stand there and you marvel. But at the end of the day, you got to move on. You can't you can't bask in the good or the bad. I mean, they don't have the pictures of me after I got fired. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I didn't save those. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but that that's real life. And, you know, they don't tell right. you that. I've set the record for the most fumbles in a Super Bowl game. That's a true story. <laughs> you know, I mean, those, those, are the, those are the things that you go through. Um, but you, you get those moments where you're ready to go and you just say, hey, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Let me make the most of it. Let me dive into getting to know the people. Let's develop a process and let's go to work. And that all happened in such a compressed time frame. Guys, can you feel the weight of that? Like literally goes from winning a Super Bowl, right, ready to kind of go off and lay on a beach for a few days and decompress from the season to phone ringing, on a plane, in an interview, in a press conference, and then that, I guarantee you, the beach vacation got. Yeah, there was no vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no vacation. Right, it was rolling from there. So can you speak a little bit to the the process, coach, you go through of just, that's not the only big decision you faced in your life, but maybe just speak to how you navigate trying to discern a yes or a no when it comes to, you know, crossroad type stuff. People in the room here, right, facing some big decisions in their own life right now. What's helped you walk through some of that? Mm, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of big decisions. Um, you know, after playing for 14 years, transitioning it, what's the next steps there? And, and so the journey's kind of seems like it's gone back and forth. But what, what's consistent is this. I remember my very first training camp that I went to in 1985. Um, I remember Linda writing on an index card a, a, a verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And, um, 
And I remember just reading that over and over again, you know, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything, tell God your needs, don't forget him, thank you for your answers, the whole deal. And, and so what we, that wasn't just a Bible memory verse, that was like a life verse that we were going to hang on to through the journey in the NFL and then after the NFL that we were going to take. And that when we had these big decisions, um, we were going to first and foremost put our hearts together, you know, before God. It involved both of us. I mean, my wife went to nursing school, got a Master of Divinity. She was going to go to medical school and do all this kind of stuff. She put that aside when we started having children. That was a decision that she and we made together at that time. And so these, this was first and foremost a decision we were going to make together. And, um, but then it was going to be, we were going to go before the Lord. And, and I always knew this with, with Linda. I always knew this with Linda. And I, 33 years now, I got at home, there's 33 years of journals just stacked up with prayer about next steps and children and fighting battles and how we, what's this decision and that decision. And I always felt like we were going to usher that in through prayer. That was going to be a big part of it. So it's a great picture. How can you picture 33 years worth of journals? I mean, talk about marrying up. Yeah. You outkicked your coverage on that no, whole thing, No doubt. Right? On that. Hunter never did that, but... Uh, <laughs> punning. He did in marriage. I was going to say, you better clarify that for Jen down here. Outkicked his coverage. <laughs> he helped you out, Hunt. He helped you out right here. So, so Coach, the perception is when, you know, you're making decisions, you're trying to do what God wants you to do. You and Linda go through that process back in eight, 2018, January, and you just say, you know what, Lord, we're laying this down. You release it in prayer. You say, God, whatever you want. And then the perception is sometimes we can think, well, it all turns out to winning the Super Bowl and getting a head coach job, right? The perception is if I'm doing what God wants me to do and I'm following his will and, and I'm surrendered to him, that things are just going to go Super Bowl run-like. But that's not real life, right? Sometimes you can be right in the center of where God wants you to be and the circumstances around you are just not anything like you A, prefer them to be or B, envision them to be. Yeah. So can you just... Maybe speak to that, because I think that that's more, right? Sometimes it is Super Bowl run. We rejoice when is that, but sometimes it's, yeah. I've often said real life's more like 5 and 11, right? Right. Real life isn't 11 and 5 or 13 no. and 3. And, and Linda and I were just talking about that this week. And in fact, most of the time, like you said, it's very seldom is it the, the Super uh, February of 2018. Um, but, you know, I think the key for us has been, you know, just staying centered together, number one, committed together. And then, you know, as we go through the ups and downs, just understand that um, if Christ is in first place with us, then at some level, we, we're going to fight through it together. I remember as we've gone through these journeys, to your point, Eric, um, sitting down with a, a pastor, this is many, many years ago, I had finished playing football, I was trying to consider, do I go into full-time ministry? Do I go into coaching? You know, what, what am I going to do? And I felt like I was at a, the proverbial fork in the road, you know, didn't know which direction to take. And I remember sitting down with him and him saying to me, you know, Frank, you're getting all worked up about this decision. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. And I'm like, okay, well, then tell me the answer. You know, I mean, should I go to the right or should I go to the left? And he said, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. He said, all that really matters is that you're trying to seek to glorify God in all you're doing. It's your intimacy with God. It's your intimacy with Christ. And you can choose as you want to go into full-time ministry, you want to go into coaching, either one is going to be a lifelong ministry. So just choose whatever you want to do and then figure it out along the way. You'll figure it out along the way. 
and we have done that, and that has included getting fired. Um, you put up the picture up there of 2018, or of winning the Super Bowl after winning the Super Bowl. You know, 2011, I'm fired. 2000, you know, here with the Colts. 2012, fired in Arizona. 2015, fired in San Diego. After having really good years, it, it seemed it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. Felt like you were where the Lord wanted you to be, doing what He asked you to do, and just this fired. seemed like the normal progression. Hey, let me get in here, Coach. We'll just kind of keep rocking and rolling. But it wasn't like that. It actually seemed like it went like that. Um, and so uh, we've just had to learn to accept every station along the way and learn and grow through it. It makes me think to when Linda and I were talking about this even last night when you mentioned, hey, it doesn't always go how you envisioned it, her immediate response is, uh, yeah, most of the time it doesn't go like you envision it, which is true. Um, but we still really appreciate those times it does. Our we have one of our daughters who was a swimmer. Here, I, this, I was thinking about this this morning, reminded me of this point. She's a freshman in high school. Obviously, she's trying to get to the state meet. She qualifies for the state meet in the morning. She swims a race. She swims the 50 freestyle. That's her race. She qualifies for the finals. It's her freshman year for states. So now she gets it. It's a big moment. And so she gets up on the blocks. What, what, everything you have envisioned, this is the moment. We've prayed about it. We've worked towards it. This is all how, up on the blocks for the finals. The gun's about to go off. And she's ready. She's so eager to go. It's like, boom, leans forward before, DQs. DQs, and it's not like when you dis get disqualified in a race where you flinch a little bit, but he still blew the gun, and you go, and then they just tell you after the race that you're out. This no was, restart, no this, restart. This, this was one where, no, you fall in, and everyone's looking at you, and you get out, and you've just made a, uh, you've just embarrassed yourself, and now the official tells you you're out. So she has to leave, and she's right a freshman. We didn't envision it like she didn't envision it like this. As her parents, we didn't envision right. this is her first state meet. How this isn't how it's supposed to go. She was devastated. I, you know, we don't know what to say. Hey, let's just keep, just trust, just trust. Let's just kind of keep going through this. About a month later, a letter comes in the mail, and it's from a random person, and it's addressed to my daughter. And it says, hello, Leah, my name is Mrs. So-and-so. You don't know me, but I was at that state meet a month ago that you were in, and I saw when you got disqualified. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I just wanted to tell you a story. My daughter was the one who got to swim in that. When you got disqualified, my daughter was the first alternate. She was the one that got to come up and swim. Her dad was on his deathbed and was able to get out of the hospital and be there at the meet just in case that happened because she was an alternate. And so what we've learned, and even in our children's lives we've seen this, that sometimes it doesn't always go in vision, but it always, I believe, goes as God has planned. And if we will just stay patient and work through it, we can find ways that we can grow through it. Wow. Isn't that a great picture on that, huh? Yeah. Well, how about a picture of your family? Can we put a family pic up here? You want to brag a little bit on your crew because you've got an amazing crew. Three daughters, 33 years of marriage, three grown daughters, and now a five-week-old grandchild. His first grade. He's a grandpa, Grandpa Frank. Five weeks old. Want to say a couple things about your family there? Oh, that's my wife in the middle and our three daughters and two son-in-laws, and um, we're just very blessed. We're very blessed, and 
sharing the journeys with them has just been the highs and lows. And we've been like everybody in here, right? We've all shared those same, we all have those common things, the, kind of the great moments, and then a lot of struggles along the way, but uh, very special. That's right. You want to say a couple things just about what you and Linda have learned in your 33-year run together. Um, just, you know, what does it take to fight for a great marriage, right, and, and to, to fight to have a great family, and you have the highs and lows and the ups and downs, but say a couple things about what you've learned about trying to keep the right things prioritized on the marriage front. You know, I mean, first, in the first place where it's always going to be centered on Christ. Um, I, have been in, I have been inspired by Linda's walk with the Lord, how intimate she is with, with God, and I've wanted to inspire her with how my life is intimate with God. And um, I think that gives us confidence and trust in our marriage that we can look at each other and know that we each have a spouse who is pursuing God passionately, first and, forced, first and foremost, above all things. Um, I, that's been the foundation of our marriage. That's been the foundation of our marriage. And we're big sinners, big time sinners every day. I mean, it's, it's bad. I mean, I disgust myself many times. <laughs> I, every so, husband in here goes, amen. I mean, amen. I, I can't figure it out yet, but I, I'm, I sure am trying. And and, and we know that our source of that is going to be through our relationship with Christ. Um, you know, secondly, what, what I think we've learned is, you know, it, it takes work. You know, like we, Linda and I use the analogy of a gardener a lot. We, get, we want to nurture, right? We want to plant, we want to water, we want to seed, and sometimes we've got to prune. That's a little scary and, and painful at times, but we've got to really pour into each other's lives. And the good thing with, with the two of us is uh, status quo is never going to be good enough. Um, you know, we talked about if you followed our team this last year, this 1% better, the 1 and 0. I learned that in marriage. I learned that in marriage. You know, that it's, it's 1 and 0. It's 1 and 0 in marriage, man. I mean, that's what it takes. That's the mentality that it takes. We're going to win the day today in our marriage. And that can carry over in everything that you do. Um, I've learned as a husband that I think of Daniel 1.8 when it says, you know, he's taken into exile, and, and, and so, you know, now he's in Babylon, and, and he's, you know, he doesn't want to defile himself with all the things in that culture. So it says, Daniel 1.8 says, he purposed in his mind not to defile himself with the king's meat, with all, this, all the pleasantries that were in Babylon. So he says he purposed in his mind. So I've learned in our marriage that I have to purpose in my mind to be faithful every day, to be faithful to the Lord, to be faithful, to have a plan. We used to tell our children, hey, purpose in your mind before you go out to the party, you need to decide now that you're going to be faithful. You need to decide now those decisions. Don't wait till you get there. Don't wait till you're in the moment. So I need to apply that to, so I've learned to apply that to my life. Um, and then, of course, the big one, right? If, if anybody's sitting up here for 33 years of marriage, it's, it's forgiveness, you know, forgiving forgiving each other. We've had to forgive each other many times. Forgive yourself you know, and forgive yourself. That's, it's been really important to us. Yeah. One of the things I love about uh, Frank and I have known each other since 2006 in a, in a close way and just getting to know the Reich family. If you spend any time with Frank and Linda and their girls and now their extended family with their son-in-laws, you see, you know, you just get around a family who, of course, they're going to say they're not perfect, but you know what? They're going about the right way. And you get around people who you just know they genuinely love and care and support each other, and they're doing it God's way. And I can say, 
as a friend observing at a distance and then up close and personal. It's a real deal. And so I would encourage you, those of you who are maybe in places where you're struggling a bit on the home front, you know, to lean into some of the things Frank just shared about marriage and family having to fight for it. And it is a battle, right? There's, there's, you can't let your guard down, no coasting, right? It is a battle. And you know what? And at times we've, we are failed. If, and if you have, if, if you're in that boat and, and have failed, I mean, there is forgiveness. I mean, there is forgiveness in Christ. And so we can all experience that. So there's, uh, you know, that's, I've always felt like at the end of, at the end of the day, if I get through my coaching career and we win Super Bowl championships, but if I can't, if Linda and I can't stand at the end of it and say, we did it, you know, with our children, the Super Bowl championships mean nothing. I mean, it's got to be at home first. I'm going to see your Bible here a second. Let me just see your Bible here a second and show, like, I don't know if you guys can see here, right? So this is, this is Coach's Bible. Do you notice something about Coach's Bible here? I remember Swindoll's comment that says uh, when you, when you and look, the, it's kind of the cover's falling off here. Coach, like cover's, look, you need a little binding help here. Yeah. But Swindoll used to say a man whose Bible is really worn out is owned by a person who's not. And I think about your devotion, Coach. Anyone who spends any length of time with you can see you're a man who's deeply devoted to the Word of God. Your faith is really important to you. Um, Jesus, years ago, captured your heart. I'd love for you to just say some things to the group about what is it about Jesus that you just can't shake? Like, he just he captivates you in what way? What is it about this guy that so shapes who Frank Reich is? You know, there's always been two questions that have just stuck to me that I heard long ago that really literally I think of every single moment of every single day. And the first one is, who do you say that I am? You know, when Peter, when Jesus asked Peter, you know, who do, who do you say that I am? I mean, and of course, the apostles, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, you know, but who do you say that I am? And, and that question, I... I my heart is that he's the Messiah, he's the Lord, he's the Christ, he's, he's forgiven me of my sin, he's my Messiah, he's my Savior, and he's worthy of our worship. I mean, he's worthy of my worship, and so um, I just feel like it's my privilege to seek him, to pursue him, to honor him with my life, um, and even as I've messed up so many times, literally every day, but it's, I just can't stop getting back up. I just sometimes feel like I, don't, I can't even understand what it is, except it's just a view of who he is and that he is who he says he is. And um, that just never leaves me. And then the second question is, you know, what are you going to do about your sin? What am I going to do about all those times I've messed up? Those are, to me, those are the two most important questions in life. Who do you say that he is? And what, because we all know that we, we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we fall short of whatever standard it is. And so what, what are we going to do about that? And for me, my answer to that before I became a Christian was an easy answer. I figured God graded on a curve and I'm pretty good at competing. So I would compete 
just good enough that I'd pass. I'd somehow get a C minus or whatever it took to get into heaven. Over the curve. And you know, yeah, I just, uh, I'm going to score high on the, t I'll score just high enough on the test where I get, a, I get a passing grade. But then I heard the gospel for the first time where it was like God doesn't grade on a curve. He requires a score of 100%. And uh, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in serious, what am I going to do about that? And that's, and I wake up thinking about that every day, that the, that the answer is that, that the Bible says that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. He lived, he lived a perfect life. He scored 100%. And so what I learned is that and heard and what is in my heart is that when I put my faith and trust in him, I get his perfect score. And on the cross, and as we're coming to Easter, I mean, is this more a more perfect time to be talking? But as we're coming to, on the cross, he took every sin I ever have or will commit on him. He took my zero score, because that's what I spiritually get, zero, and I get his hundred score. And I can't get over that. I mean, that captivates me every day. It's great. It's a great picture where, like, the gospel just kind of wrecked your life. I mean, it just came in and just, right? Yeah. Just can't get over the gospel, which is a beautiful picture, Frank. And, Coach, say something about, like, most folks would look at your role as a head coach and say, you know, that's got to be a tough environment to stay kind of on it spiritually. What are the things you try to prioritize that help you stay on the growth edges in, in your spiritual life? And maybe just help say a couple things about it. We've got a lot of folks here of a lot of high pressure, high paced work life. We've got stay at home moms. We've got more crazy stuff going on at home. It's like, how can we prioritize a walk with God, right? And pay attention to Jesus in the midst of what appears to be a very noisy everyday life. You know what, I, I can give you the obvious answers and, I'm gonna, and I'll do that. Um, I'll give you the obvious answers and they are real and, and they're a big part of my life. The reading, you know, daily reading in the Bible. Um, you know, you and I do one together, yeah. right? We're doing it together with some of our players and coaches. We got like 31 of us in the off season, coaches and players reading through the Bible together. So how cool is that? I think God's yeah. up to something with the coming year. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So, um, prayer, you know, prayer, um, serving, put, surrounding yourself with Christians who are on the same accord. That, that's all. Those are four things that are, you should, but if they're just boxes to check, we're missing the point, right? To me, it's got to be personal. It's got to be intimate. You know, we met with the elders of this church at 8 o'clock this morning for about an hour. And what we were talking about is it's all about intimacy. It's all about intimacy. You know, and um, it's got to be personal. For it to be intimate, it has to be personal. And in Philippians 2, uh, 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, and it became personal. He, he, he became human flesh. He lived a perfect life so that it could be personal, so that it could be personal. And so in growing, with, because it is personal and it is intimate, then I think of the next chapter. That was Philippians 2 and Philippians 3. Paul writes, but whatever was to my profit, 
I can now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I mean that I consider all things, that's what I want to be able to say about my life, that I would consider all things lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's personal. And it's not just a list, a check that I read the Bible today. I, I want to know him more. Amen. Amen, Coach. Hey, worship team, why don't you guys come on back up? We're going we're gonna to wrap up with one final question here and uh, invite the team to come on back up and get in place. And um, here's how we're going to, Frank and I talked about how we wanted to kind of draw this to a close today. And um, here's the reality that, that we all know. What, what's shared ground in the room is every single person we lock eyes with is going through some great battle. Everybody. Every blue chair, or you may be in a white chair today, every blue or white chair has a story. That story has some place of pain and struggle, right? There's some deep valleys and dark days, Coach represented, right? You know that. Just, if you're not in the middle of one, just keep living. That's the whole point, right? Keep living. You'll find yourself in the middle of one. So, Coach, could you just speak to, personally, maybe a, a deep valley you've walked through and how you've seen God come to you in that space? And then we're going to have a time of, of praying for those who are here this morning, maybe in that place. Well, there, you know, there have been a lot. Um, and there's some that I would only ever share with my wife. But what would be probably when I think about some of the pain and struggles that you face, I'm 57 years old, three children, 33 years of marriage. The one that, that I think that I've struggled with this a lot. I've struggled with this a lot. We talk about the decision-making and did you make the right decision, the wrong decision? And after I got done playing for 14 years, went to seminary, went into, I was in full-time vocational ministry. I pastored a church for almost two years. And then I stepped down from that pastoral role for a lot of reasons that I don't have time to go into here right now. But for someone who has made this a priority, it, a huge struggle for me for years I'm probably still not completely over it is the feeling that I failed God you know that somehow that I that I didn't have what it took you know to go into full-time ministry to pass I wasn't as tough as you you know what I mean um, to, to fight through that and the struggles of that and to be called to that but what I have gradually learned and and you know, just get this feeling, you know, that I failed God somehow and, and couldn't live up to that expectation. But then to be gradually released of that and to see, and I knew in my heart that I was, that God had called us to serve him and to love him wherever we are, not just in vocational ministry, whether it's coaching football, playing football, whatever. So come on, Frank, it's, you know, but it just, I got it here, but it just wasn't here. And uh, that's, been a, that's been a battle, the, feel, the feeling that you failed, you know, the feeling that, whatever, that I went the wrong way, that I took the wrong turn, even though I had been counseled and said, don't worry about it. Just in the back of my mind, I always questioned that. I always questioned that. And that's taken a lot of years of healing to understand that I can have freedom as a football coach to serve him um, in the best way I can. Coach, thanks for your transparency on that. And uh, I'm going to have you say a, a few words in a moment to some folks in the room, because uh, I'm going to ask you to, you know, be a little bit bold here in this moment. This is family for us here. So if 
you're a guest here, we kind of do this periodically, and you just feel free to participate with us. But I had a burden in praying for this morning that if you've come in this morning and you're in a place where you just say, you know what, I'm going through some stuff and I need prayer. You can just stand up right where you are, and I'm going to have Frank say a couple words to all those who are standing, and I'm going to have him lead a prayer for you. You're just in in a tough place, maybe in one of those struggles, maybe you felt like a failure, maybe you've sat beside the bed of a loved one recently and just can't figure out how you're going to get through what you're going through. Maybe you've got some news from the doctor, maybe you've got news from a spouse, it could be something at home, work, right? Finance stuff, it could be some wrestling match between you and God, whatever it is, you're here on this day, at this moment, and you realize right now, hey, something Frank said or something through this morning, God's really speaking to my heart. Like you're just saying, God's speaking to me this morning and I've come to this place where I really need prayer. I want you to just stand up right where you're at. Safe place, this is family, you just stand up right where you're at. And I'm going through some things. This is real life, right? I just need God. I need God to touch my life. I need God's strength. I can't see what I'm going through. I don't understand. Anybody else? All right, let's let's make sure that no one is standing by themselves. So those of you, especially, hey, you Eagle family who you know, right, let's make sure, just feel free to get up out of your seat right now. You may, whether you know them or not, put an arm on a shoulder. Those of you standing, when you feel that arm touch your shoulder, here's what I want you to sense. It's the body of Christ is what the script, this is the Lord saying you're not alone. Let's make sure no one is standing alone. Put an arm on a shoulder. All right, now all of you who, who stood up right now, I want you to look up here. I want you to look at, look at Coach for a moment. I'm just gonna, Frank, I just want you to say a couple things to all those standing who are just in that space. You know, it takes courage. It takes courage to, to stand and say, I'm going to fight on. I'm going to press on. And, but it doesn't have to be done alone. So I would just say to you as a brother and sisters in Christ that whatever it is that you're dealing with. Um, I want to share this scripture in closing. This has been one that has been near and dear to my heart that in times like this that I've thought of over and over again. We read in Philippians 2 and then 3, and this continues in Philippians 3, where Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You know, what this passage speaks to me and says, it says, press on. No matter how many times I've failed, 
I'm going to press on. Don't ever stop pressing on. Don't ever stop pressing on and pursuing your relationship with Christ, pursuing what is right and good in our life, healing in a relationship, restoring relationships, restoring our own lives. Just press on. And then it also says, forget what's behind. That's the great news of the gospel. The Bible says that God forgives us our sins. He not only forgives us, it says he tosses his sins and he remembers them no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our our transgressions from us. There is forgiveness in Christ where he removes that and washes that away. And then I love this part. It's kind of the end. We don't talk about this one as much. Only let us press on and live up to what we've already attained. Christ Jesus, he took hold of it for us. We realize in this life where there is suffering and there is heartache, right? And that's part of the process of him working in us to develop us and grow us into the people that he wants us to be. So let's press on together. Coach, would you just uh, close us up in prayer? Just pray a prayer of blessing over these folks who have stood. Go ahead. Our Father in heaven, thank you for all who have come here today. Every person in this building, Lord, I thank you for them being here today. And Lord, in particular, I pray for those who have stood. I pray that uh, I pray that you would encourage their heart. Lord, you can touch our hearts in ways that we just simply, that the human mind can't comprehend. So whatever each individual need is, Lord, I pray that you would meet it in Christ Jesus. He has took, taken hold of it for us, Lord. Lead us, direct us, encourage our hearts today, Lord, I pray. And Lord, I pray that even as we've been here today, that this would remind us and prepare us for next week, for what we celebrate next week in Easter Sunday. But somehow today, Lord, would prepare us to even take that next step with you in our relationship as we consider what you did for us on the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we put our hands together and thank Coach Frank Reich for all his words? Thank you, brother. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Um, ushers are going to come forward, and we're going to worship with our tithes and our offerings. And if you're a guest here with us, you don't need to feel any obligation to participate. Uh, this is what we do as a church family. Uh, we give back a portion of what the Lord has given us, and we get to give that back to Him as an act of worship, and this is our time to do that. You can give online. You can text to give. Those are some other ways, and if you want to be involved with that, that's what this moment of the service is. And then the team's going to lead us uh, through one final song here. So ushers, you come forward. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. Team, lead us through, and then I'll wrap us up with a benediction. Okay, I want to send you out now. Thanks again for being with us today. All you guests coming, thanks for being a part, uh, sharing this day with us. I want to send you out with a benediction. So here at Eagle, our benediction, the difference between a prayer and a, and a benediction is a benediction is a word from God to the people, like a blessing to the people versus a prayer is our words back to, to God. So this is our time, bene and diction, a good word from the Lord to send us out into our week. So sometimes folks around here will turn their hands up, kind of push their palms up. You don't have to, but that's some of the posture of some folks around you. Just receive a word of blessing on your way out today. Number six, Moses, the Lord says to Moses, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in his name. Have a great week. Amen.